Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. God in heaven, now as we come again to the grieving of our brother Job, we thank you, Lord, that out of the soil of his suffering, uh, you, Lord, bring forth these shoots of faith, both for him and for us. And that this morning we can benefit in a profound way from the questions he asks, from the truths that he sees, as we read these things in light of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we ask, Lord, that you would feed our faith and, uh, Lord, build us up in trust and hope, in confidence and comfort today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title of my message this morning is, uh, Can a Man Live Again? Can a Man Live Again? For those of you who are uh, uh, maybe online but not part of Harvest Churches, I uh, want you to know that the manuscripts of these sermons are being made available on um, both Sunday mornings but also on our website uh, through the week. And so you'll be able to access the manuscript if that's helpful to you. Uh, this morning, brothers and sisters, we have one of the great questions uh, of the Bible. I wonder if you've uh, ever noticed that the Bible is often at its most profound and penetrating when it asks questions. I'm thinking, for example, the question that uh, Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. He's asked them, who do people say that I am? And, and they've said, well, some say Elijah the prophet, some think John the Baptist returned. And, um, and, and then Jesus points right at them and says, who do you say? that I am. It's a very personal, penetrating question, and there's no avoiding answering it. You have to answer that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? And your answer to that question will determine your eternal destiny. Or maybe you... Uh, <clears throat> could take the question Jesus asked of the crowds in Matthew uh, chapter 8, verse 36. What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? And the world then was very much like it is today. People very, very busy pursuing things and stuff. Uh, the Amazon of that day was doing good business. The marketplaces are full of people um, seeking things. And, and Jesus just throws this question like a, an, an atomic bomb in the middle of a consumeristic society and materialistic hearts and asks the simple question, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? For what can a man give in exchange for his soul. If you lose your soul, what profit does your stuff give to you? And of course, to ask the question is to answer it. The question just lays bare the foolishness and emptiness of a materialistic, consumer-oriented life. Well, the central question of our text this morning is equally pressing. If a man dies... Can he live again? It's a particularly relevant question in a time of a pandemic. This week, um, we're told that over 200,000 people worldwide have died from the virus, over 50,000 in the United States alone. Now, those numbers are just estimates. God alone knows the actual figure. 
But let's not uh, forget that those numbers represent people. Every digit represents a real name. A person with a family. A person with a, with a personality and a history. Someone who just recently walked and worked and loved and lived right here in our midst and now is gone. Never to return. And so the question that Job asked this morning is a question being asked by 200,000 families today. If a man die, will he live again? Because you see, they've lost a precious part of their life. They've lost a, a, a beloved father or mother. They've lost a cherished husband, a wife, a son, a daughter. And so they asked the question today through tear-stained eyes, broken hearts, will my loved one live again? And of course, it's a question being asked not just by those who are suffering from the virus, uh, though the pandemic has made death seem more real, the human morality, mortality rate stands unchanged at 100%. And so every day people are perishing from all sorts of causes. Sickness, old age, accidents, suicide, war, hunger. And every day people weep with broken hearts over the loss of a loved one. The cries would be deafening if you could gather them all together in one sound. And so in a world full of dying men and women and boys and girls, it's a profoundly relevant question. If a man dies, and he does and he will, shall he live again? Now as Christians, we, are, uh, we tend to be quick to go to the answer, but it's good to pause and just feel the weight of the question. Because we live in a world where most, by far, don't know the answer. They have faint hopes or wishes or a cynical certainty that, that the answer is no. But they feel the weight of the question. The crushing reality of the question as they stand at the grave or the funeral pyre. Will I see my loved one again? Will, will I ever hear their distinctive laugh? Will I, will I ever see that unique smile and hear that voice and see that face ever again? Or is death actually, truly, irrevocably, and bitterly the end? And there's nothing more. And friends, this... This is not a hypothetical question for Job. Uh, it's not just something he's sort of casually thinking about. He asks it from the ash heap of his life and in the shadow of his own demise. Job believes that he's dying. He's convinced that he's dying. And in chapter 14, Job then reflects on matters of life and death from the perspective of his deathbed. This is what it looks like. 
when your own death is very close at hand. These are the things that he sees. We're first going to look at the facts of life, and then secondly, the finality of death, and then a future hope. The facts of life first. Verse 1, man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. What an epitaph to write over the world of men and women and boys and girls, right? Of few of days and full of trouble. We spend so much time and energy to make it otherwise. We, 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 we give ourselves to make our days many and full of comforts. But in the end, this is always the truth. No matter how long you live, it's always few of days. And Job here is speaking of a man born of woman. In other words, every person that's ever come into this world is, lives few of days and experiences a life full of trouble. Uh, when, you're, when you are young, um, living to 80 or 90 seems like a long, long time. It's hard for you to imagine how long of a life that is. And, and yet, uh, you'll find as you grow in years, um, it's not that long at all. In fact, uh, when you are 80, you look back over your life and it is a fleeting thing. It's exactly how Scripture describes it. Psalm 103.15 As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. That's true. Our days are like grass. It doesn't matter if you live to 90 years old. The wind passes over it and it's gone and its place doesn't remember it. Uh, this is becoming increasingly clear to me, and I'm sure it's, it's, that would be the testimony of all of, of us as we're growing older. Uh, my life is a fleeting thing. My dad passed away in January, and I remember when his dad passed away. And it'll be only a few years before I pass away, if that long. We're born like a flower. Beautiful, pretty, fresh little babies. And then we come into the full strength of our youth. And then by the age of 25, decay is setting in. And you're withering. And you will die. I, um, there's a quote by a famous Puritan pastor, Richard Baxter, that I've always enjoyed as a preacher. He says... Uh, about his own preaching style. He says, I preached as a dying man to dying men. And I thought that, you know, that's a striking metaphor. It's a, it's a good reminder that we should be earnest in our preaching. We should act like we're dying men, a preaching to dying men. I've, I've always thought it to be a very good metaphor. Until it dawned on me that it's not a metaphor. There's nothing metaphorical about it. I am a dying man preaching to dying men and dying women and dying boys and dying girls. It's the fact of the matter. Man's life is few of days. And it's full of trouble. The, the troubles we experience in this life, sickness, 
disabilities, sin, behavioral heartache, relational heartache, loss of loved ones, frustration, disappointment in our work, failure in, in all sorts of different ways in our own life. Thorns and thistles are what God promised to Adam back in Genesis chapter 3, and thorns and thistles are what we have. Moses writes of it poetically in Psalm 90 verse 10, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. Uh, They are soon gone and we fly away. Their span is but toil and trouble. Uh, This was pressed home to me uh, as a boy growing up on the farm. I loved the farm, but reflecting back, man, uh, did we experience trouble. Cows and calves can die in every imaginable way, and they did from being strangled by by maybe falling down in the stanchion, and and we'd come there in the morning, and and there's this cow gone, or diseases Calves often that way. Uh, we had electrical shock once ran through the barn and several cows were, were, were killed by that in their stanchions, couldn't escape. Just tragic. And then PBB came and wiped out the entire herd. Every single cow and calf on the place taken away and shot. A machinery routinely broke, usually when you needed it the most, and sometimes broke spectacularly. I, I remember uh, with a laugh now, but uh, when my brother was driving the 870 case down the road and fell asleep into the ditch, blew out the entire front axle. It was not a good day. Uh, the wind, a windstorm, severe windstorm came and just peeled back half of the barn roof. Fire happens in the upstairs bedrooms of the house and and we got that fixed and a few months later fire came again and destroyed the entire house. But we could all tell stories of troubles, losses, failures, heartbreak. As it says in Job chapter 5 verse 7, man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. If you light a campfire... Do the sparks go up or do the sparks go down? Well, they, they go up. Man is born to trouble just like that. And the question, of course, is why? Why does it have to be so hard? Have you, have you ever asked yourself that? Why does it have to be so hard? Why does it have to hurt so much? Why so much pain in the world? Why does it have to be this way? And as Job considers the fleeting nature of life and the trouble of life, he considers the reason this is the case. And the reason is because man lives under the judgment of God. Uh, Job knows that the world is the way it is because it is under a curse. That God is, is, has held the world under judgment. He believes that's why he's dying. That's why he is suffering. Verse 3, do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me into judgment with you? In other words, God, I understand that's what you're doing. You've brought me under judgment. And and he says in verse 4, well, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There's, There's not one. What chance do I have in your judgment, under your judgment? I'm an unclean thing. He, Job is, has, has um, never professed to be without sin. He's professed that, that his sin 
um, that, that God is, is not acting faithfully in a sense in, in his covenant because Job has not committed some great grievous something that, that his friends are saying he has. Job says, no, I'm innocent in regard to that. But as Job just sits on his deathbed before his God, he acknowledges that he's not able to stand in the judgment of God. David in Psalm 143, 2 says, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. This is, this is man's deepest problem, isn't it? You see that we are unclean and we can't fix it. Every person born of a woman is born in sin. That means that they are born with a defiled heart so that we love the wrong things. And we have a defiled mind so that we believe lies. And we have a defiled will so that we choose what is evil. That's the great fact and crisis of the world in which we live. And there's no fix for it. You see... In ourselves, who can bring a clean thing, a clean thing, out of an unclean? Who can do that? God asks the people in Jeremiah thirteen twenty three, "Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to doing evil." We can't make ourselves clean. That's the crisis of our life. There's a deep down defilement in our very nature that has brought us under the judgment of God and we can't fix it. We can't make it better. No, we just sang about that, didn't we? There's nothing that I can do that can make myself right with God. And that's why man's days are few and full of trouble. That's why we die. Those are the facts of life. And then Job secondly considers the finality of death. The finality of death. As Job is uh, considering his own imminent departure from this world, uh, it's, death seems to present nothing but loss. Because it is so final. Death is so irrevocable. It would be better to be a tree Verse 7, for there's hope for a tree. If it be cut down, that it will, there's hope it'll sprout again and its shoots will, will not cease. Though its root grow old in the earth and its stump die in the soil, yet at the scent of water it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. If he were only a tree, there would be hope that though he, he, he seems to die, yet at the scent of water he'll come back to life. That's how it is with a tree, but that's not how it is with a man. Verse 10, but a man dies and is laid low. Man breathes his last. Where is he? As waters fail from a lake and a river wastes away and dries up, so a man lies down and rises not again. Till the heavens are no more, he will not awake or be aroused out of his sleep. So this is what Job has come to as he's approaching death. He looks back over his life. And realizes that even with all the blessings that God had given to him, his days, like all men, are few and full of trouble. And now he's dying under the judgment of God, and he can't make it right. And unlike the tree, he will breathe his last and lie down and rise not again. No hope of coming back into this world, ever. 
But in the sorrow of his deathbed, Job being a man of faith, in, in, in other words, Job, by the Spirit of God, believes in God, and he believes there are things that are irrevocably true about God. And that spirit that has given Job that faith also then leads Job to, to, to hope that, that though he's dying and, and, and he believes he's dying under the judgment of God, uh, he senses the intoxicating possibility that yet there is life and there's yet reconciliation for him. Not in this world, but in another world. He, he comes to this, this wish, this longing and hope for a future reality. Look at verse 13. Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, that you would conceal me until your wrath be passed, and that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. Here's a man who believes in God and his heart is going out to God and, and wishing that this could be the case. It, wouldn't it be wonderful that if Sheol, the place of the dead, was actually a, a, a place where of rest, a, a place of relief, from the wrath of God and a place to, to lie and be still until the storm of God's judgment has passed. What, what if death were actually a form of sleeping and that at, the, at, at an appointed time, God would come and wake him up like a parent waking a sleeping child? Oh, that that, that could be true. Wouldn't that be something? And that brings then the question, if a man dies, shall he live again? Is it, is it possible? Is it feasible that a man could, could actually die with the hope of coming back to life? Not this life, but something greater. Because you see, if, if that were true, it would change everything. Then Job could suffer and die in peace. That's what he says in the next verse, in, in uh, the, the end of that verse. All the days of my service, I would wait until my renewal should come. You see, then he would have something to look forward to with great expectation, and, and now his, his suffering is, is just a time of waiting, in expectancy, for a renewal. The word here for renewal means change or transformation. Some versions of the Bible use the word change. And, and so you see, Job, is, as he's considering this, what, what if death isn't an ending at all? What, what if it is part of a process of renewal, of change, sort of like a caterpillar entering into the cocoon in order to soon emerge as a beautiful butterfly? What if, what if death isn't a dead end, but a doorway into a new world, into a new life, and, and best of all, into a new reconciled relationship with God? That's what renewal means to Job. The primary glory of this renewal would be a renewed, reconciled relationship with God where, where he says, you would call and I would answer you. You would long for the work of your hands. I mean, it's just so poignant. Here's this man who 
doesn't fully understand why, but believes he's under the wrath of God, that God has turned his face away from him. Boys and girls, isn't it true that when you're disciplined by mom or dad, that the thing that, that hurts the most, or that is the most weighty, isn't the spanking or the quiet time, but the, the displeasure, um, the, the breaking of maybe the love it feels like between you and mom or dad. Well, Job feels like a child who's been put aside, rejected in a sense by God. And, and now this, this, this language has a sound of a, of a deep longing, something to be imagined. You would call and I would answer you. It's like he's play acting it out in his mind. Something that, that it's like a fantasy. The ideal picture of how this would end. As Job feels the pressing, crushing weight of the displeasure of God, at least that's what he believes it is. It would be such a glorious thing to, to believe that God would call and long for him. Like a parent longing for a long lost child. That he could once again be the delight of God's eye, the object of God's affection, that God would want to be with him. Wouldn't it be something if, if death could end like that, if, if, if God would call his children because he loves them and he longs for them and, and his wrath is gone and they would answer him from their grave and they would run to him and be with him and live with him forever. Wouldn't it be something if that were true? But how could it possibly be true if sin is the problem and sin is the problem and God in his holiness cannot simply ignore? If sin is the great obstacle between dying men and intimacy with God and everlasting with life, everlasting life, and we can't change it, how could this be true? How could it possibly be true? But you see, the, the wonder of Scripture is that what is impossible with men is possible with God. And Job believes that God is willing and able to even overcome his sin. Verse 16, then you would number my steps and you would not keep watch over my sin. It means that God would care for like a, like a parent watching over a, a little toddler numbering and, and carefully watching his steps to keep him from harm and, and would, not be, would not be thinking about his sin. In fact, he would, my transgression, verse 17, would be sealed up in a bag and you would cover over my iniquity. Not only would, God would not ignore it, God would deal with it. He would remove the sin from Job, as far as the east is from the west, his sins would be covered up. They would be sealed up and done away with, never again to come between Job and his God. Never again to impact that loving, intimate relationship. And because, you see, his sin would be removed, his life could be renewed. Can you just imagine Job longing for this? as he's facing his own death. At least he believes he's dying. Oh, that this were true. What if this were actually true? And friends, of course, the Bible is written precisely 
to convince us that these things are true. The Bible, friends, is written to convince dying people like you and like me that not only is Job's wish possible, it is an accomplished fact in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, you might have life in his name. That's why it's written. And so throughout Scripture, listen to what Jesus says, for instance, in John chapter 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, present tense, eternal life. He does not come into judgment. That's exactly what Job was, was concerned about. He does not come into judgment, but has passed That's past tense. He has passed from death to life. It's an accomplished fact. For those who hear Jesus' word and believe in him who sent him. Now, of course, how is that possible? What about the sin problem? How can, it, how can it be that simply believing in Jesus' word and believing in, 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 in the Father who sent him, how could that have such astounding, incredible, eternal implications for people like us? And again, you see, the Bible is written to tell us how it's possible. It's possible because Jesus came specifically to atone, that means to cover Sin. He came to do exactly what Job was longing to have done. That God would watch over us and that, that he would not count our sins against us. They would be sealed up. They'd be covered. That's why Jesus came. And he, he did this by shedding his blood for us. Let me just give you a few texts that just pound that point home. Ephesians 1.7 In him, Jesus... We have redemption, renewal, through his blood, comma, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. His blood, forgiveness of our trespasses. Revelation chapter 1, 5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. To him who loves us and has freed us, actually truly free, from our sins, the sins that we commit, by his blood. Romans 5, 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, declared before the court of heaven to be righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ, how much more shall we be saved by him? From the wrath of God. Friends, this is exactly why Scripture was written. This is precisely what Jesus wants us to understand. And to believe that His atoning, covering death and victorious resurrection have made Job's wish our reality. This is what it means to come to Jesus. It means to find in Jesus' death 
a hiding place. That in Jesus' death, the wrath of God passes over us as it was poured out on him. And that his resurrection, his rising, is our victory. It's our justification. He was put to death for our sin and raised to life for our justification. And if we've been justified, then the unbreakable chain of salvation stands because those he justified, he also glorified. Every single one. Because Jesus now lives, death has lost its hold on you. And you also shall live. You see, the gospel's answer to Job's question is better than Job could have imagined. The question that he asks is, if a man die, shall he live again? And the answer to that question, the gospel answer to that question, isn't simply, yes, he shall. It's better than that. Remember Jesus standing with Martha, and Lazarus has died, and the tomb is right there, and death is in the air. The body is decaying. And Jesus comes to Martha. And you remember what he said to her? He said the most audacious thing. Jesus says to Martha, right there at the tomb of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That's what Job was wishing for. But Jesus says more. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now, does he mean that? Does Jesus expect us to believe that? It's what he says. We'll never die. And what we need to do, you see, is press that home. Take that from your head and move it down into your heart. To grasp experientially what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. If this is true, it means that the the banner over your life has been radically altered. That even though your days on this earth might be few and full of trouble, the reality is is that your life is not few of days, but unending days and full of glory. Full of glory. All the riches of God given to you as a free gift. So that even the troubles in this life, Paul will say, are light and momentary afflictions, not worth comparing to the weight of the glory that will be revealed in us. I mean, we just got to move that from here down into here where it becomes an experienced conviction. I had an experience oh, several weeks ago now. Spring mornings are, are, can be intoxicating. When, when the sun it comes uh, up and, it's, and you sense the warmth of spring and you're starting to see things green up and grow and maybe there's, there's a mist in the morning, it just, it's it's. It's intoxicating with the promise of something that's coming. Well, what if the something isn't summer, it's a new heaven and earth? So that the promise and the 
in the preview of a beautiful spring morning if it's just a preview of a coming eternal dawn. Because that's exactly what it is. It's pointing to something vastly more than summertime. Do you, can you see it? That's the question. Can you, can you see the secret of the world? That this life, yes, it is fleeting, but it's, but it's passing away only so that the, the, the curtains can be opened. So that we can enter into what is eternal, what will never pass away. Do you, do you see the secret of the world that death is not the end and that glory lies just behind the veil where Jesus is? And because we belong to Him, nothing can keep us from entering through that door. Certainly not death. It's become the vehicle. How would your life change if you became convinced that you could not die? And that this life, in all of its goodness, in all of its trouble, is real, but it's passing. It's a preview for what is yet to come. And that your real life is not here. It's just behind the veil hidden with Christ in God. How would your life change if you were convinced that was true? Wouldn't that just dissolve the consumerism, the materialism? The gifts of God are good. We can enjoy them. But it's not life. Relationships are a blessing. They're good. We want to honor God in them. But what we're doing in relationships is we're not just trying to build a, a good middle-class West Michigan life. What we're doing in our relationships is we're getting each other ready for glory. How would your life change if this were true? If you were convinced that God loved you so much that He gave His own Son, Jesus Christ, to death so that in Jesus you will never die and that in Jesus Christ you actually do have now eternal life and you never need fear death again because that's exactly what the Bible tells you is true that's exactly what Jesus has accomplished he died and rose again so that a man may never die not truly that when our bodies die, they fall asleep and our souls go immediately into the presence of Jesus Christ and one day God the Father will call as a loving parent calling his child and our body will hear and we will stand and with glorified, perfected body and soul, we will go into the presence of God. It was a wonderful thing that Jesus says in John chapter 17, answering Job's wish. Job wishes that God would long for him, that God would want Job to be with him. Remember what Jesus says in John 17? 
Father, I pray that those you've given me may be with me where I am, that they might see their glory. It's not just Job's wish, it's God's wish. It's Jesus' wish for you to be with him, for you to see his glory. And Jesus' wishes are all granted as he's purchased them with his own blood. So there's just one question remaining as we wrap up this morning. The question is the question that Jesus asked Martha. Martha, do you believe this? And remember, he's asking her right in front of the grave with a dead man and people wailing and death is all anyone can see. And Jesus looks into Martha's eyes and he asks The question, Martha, right now, in the very presence of death, are you willing to see the unseen and to believe the impossible simply because I say it is true? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? And Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe. Friend, do you, right now, in the middle of a pandemic, in the unavoidable reality of death, including your own? Do you believe all that Scripture says about Jesus and all that Jesus has accomplished? Do you believe what Jesus says, that He is not just the resurrection and life, but if you believed in Him, He is your resurrection, He is your life. And though you die, you will live again, and in fact, you will never die. Do you Believe it. It'll change your life. May God give us the grace. Let's pray. Oh, God in heaven, I just thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you it is more profoundly true than we ever could have imagined. I thank you that Jesus Christ has conquered sin and in doing so has conquered death and has opened the way for sinners like us to be fully forgiven and gloriously reconciled to you, our God, and that Jesus desires that we will be with him in a new heaven and earth. Thank you, O God, that glory lies just beyond the veil. I pray that you give us the eyes to see it, to know it, and to read our troubles in light of the glory that is that is waiting for us. And to see our our pain and our suffering and even our tears in light of the joy that's waiting to explode as we enter into the presence of Christ and all things are made new. Oh, Jesus, give us the ability to then wait all the days of our service, to wait for our renewal, our change. And we thank you, O God, that in light of your promise and in light of all Jesus has done, we can live today as though these things are true because they are absolutely and eternally true. Glorify your name, O God, in our faith, in our comfort, in our peace, even in the face of death, for it is but a doorway into your presence. We pray, O God, that you would lead us 
by faith until we see Jesus face to face. Amen.